This week, the Navy picks a new Chief of Information, and we discuss the challenges of military public affairs. We deep dive into the do's and don'ts of crisis management and look ahead to next week and beyond, the looming shutdown and potential budget crisis. All this and more on this episode. Three C's in a pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are John Schofield and Chris Cervello. Friends, feel free to get more of the Provision conversation out in the Twitter sphere and let us know your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. All right, folks, it feels like since the inception of this podcast, each rearview mirror segment gets a bit better and better, depending, of course, on what you consider a hot news story. And that said, let's take a look back on the week we just endured. Chris, we'll start with you. So guys, uh, late last week, the Navy announced that Captain Charlie Brown, um, the current public affairs officer at U.S. Pacific Fleet in Hawaii, uh, has been nominated to be the Navy public affairs flag officer, the next Navy public affairs flag officer. Yes, um, congratulations, congratulations. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the way that nomination will work is he'll uh, – if confirmed to be a flag officer, he'll be nominated to be the next chief of information. And, you know, all that's pending Senate confirmation. So for me, the rear view is one to kind of uh, give a shout out to, uh, to Captain Brown, um, but also to kind of take this opportunity to, as you mentioned in the open, to look at the state of military communication, uh, talk a little bit about areas of improvement, sort of across the Department of Defense, um, maybe diving a little bit into Navy, and then talk a little bit about Charlie, since uh, all three of us have known Captain Brown uh, for a number of years. So uh, that, that's kind of what I thought we would do. I think we're lagging a bit behind. Um, I think that uh, we are trying to figure out who the right audience is, how to reach that audience, and what type of message and what type of products will resonate with those audiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'll take it one step further. Um, I think that we sort of oscillate back and forth on, you know, where's the right rheostat in terms of um, engagement with the media. So does the military decide to tell its story directly to the American people using uh, owned media properties? Um, do they go you know, directly to the media and use the media, or do they have that, uh, you know, or do they have a mixture of the two? Um, my sense is right now that mixture is not right, that uh, we're trying to do too much owned media um, and maybe not a, a, enough earned media. Uh, and uh, we need to get that, uh, that rheostat in the right uh, position in order to be effective zeroing in on the service specific and, and the Navy, which all three of us, uh, you know, have spent a significant amount of time in. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think any info has got to focus in three areas. Um, they've got to focus on the relationship with the leadership and the E-ring uh, to really establish themselves as the communication advisor of choice. Um, they've got to build a credible relationship with the Pentagon press corps and with the fleet concentration area press. Um, and then they've got to build a relationship uh, of trust within the public affairs community and really establish themselves as the mentor and leader of choice. And so any new service PA lead 
particularly the chief of information for the Navy, mm-hmm. I think has to really come in focused on those three areas. Yeah, one of the things that has stuck out for me, um, the moment that you have a commander in chief make a statement that, quote, he knows more than the generals, can actually set the public back on its heels a little bit and set the earring back on its heels uh, as well. Now, to that end, as, I, as we look at the, the last government shutdown that we just in, endured the last, uh, the last month here, to see the Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Schultz, speak out the way he did was something that made me pause um, because that's something that we really just don't see. And I understand, of course, these were a different set of circumstances, um, but to see a member of the uh, quote-unquote military, although the Department of Homeland Security uh, was still a member of, of the armed forces, speak out the way he did towards, uh, towards our leadership was um, a bit of a shift uh, in terms of what we expect uh, from our military, uh, our military leaders. Now, I think the, the American public is not used to seeing that, uh, but I feel like we are in a place where uh, right now, the dynamic being what it is, the, the, uh, the current environment being what it is, I feel like we could see more uh, of our military leadership speaking out, uh, establishing grounds, uh, establishing messages that speak to uh, our national security, their place uh, within that role, uh, within that spectrum of national security. Uh, In this case, we're obviously talking about uh, our United States Navy. Uh, And I think the American public would welcome that. So I think this creates an opportunity where the uh, chief of information, the CHINFO, uh, can set some new parameters uh, and some new guidelines for speaking out uh, on behalf of on behalf of the Navy. Do you think that he, as a brand new flag officer, has the uh, has the room to actually go ahead and criticize, or not necessarily criticize, but? seek an identity for that narrative? I don't know. Yeah. Well, John, I I would say at this point, where we are right now, February 8th, 2019, I think the American people will embrace anyone who gives it to them straight. Here's what we're doing. Uh, Here, these are our goals. This is what we're capable of, of, excuse me. And we're going to go out and do this uh, because it's what's right for America. And I think there are people that are willing to listen to that message. Uh, we're going to do it the right way. We've trained for this. And this is what your taxpayer dollars uh, are for. And at this point, I, I, I firmly believe uh, people need that, that sort of confidence. People want to hear that messaging. My, my sense is, though, that um, from a leadership standpoint, they're willing to take that risk if the you know if the juice is worth the squeeze uh you know in the in the case of the coast guard commandant i mean the stakes were certainly uh high enough that uh you, you know admiral schultz felt like he he had to speak out he mm-hmm. had to communicate um i think that for the service public affairs lead uh and in this case talking about captain brown soon to be admiral brown 
again, his challenge will be to win the confidence of uh, that leadership and demonstrate to them, hey, if you are transparent, if you are aggressive and seek out opportunities to share the Navy story, um, you know, here is the value that um, that those types of engagements will bring um, to your overall efforts, right? I mean, I think that we do a a sometimes less than optimal job as communicators by not really connecting the dots for our leadership. You know, we sort of cloak it in, hey, you got to be transparent or, hey, we owe it to the American people. But I think that uh, military leaders especially are looking for tell me why and then show me how. Um, and I think if Captain Brown is able to do that, I think he'll be very successful. If he's not, um, I, I think he will struggle. No, I was just saying that's that's exactly right. It's just it's a matter of navigating through a very difficult political sphere um, and and understanding exactly what the consequences are for you necessarily. Um, I guess having an identity and do you want do you want to have an identity or can you have an identity in this particular um situation and and ha how do you go out there and say this is what the navy is when it might be counter to what the the overall national security narrative is i it, if if i'm a new flag officer i'm probably going to be like hey whatever you guys tell me to say i'm going to say um, how does he do that? And, and it's an unenviable job. That's tough. And, and it, I, I think Charlie's up to it, but the, this is definitely a unique situation for any Chinfo to ever walk into. No other Chinfo has walked into a situation as unique as this, right? Yeah, I, I think that um, he certainly has his uh, his work cut out for him. Now that that said, I, I again I, I very much believe that the leadership is looking for, um, you know, uh, Captain Brown to be the communication advisor of, of choice, and and I use that phrase uh, on purpose because I mean there are a lot of people out there that will give you communication advice. Uh, some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Um, but I think they look to the chief of information to be the subject matter expert on how to communicate Navy messaging, how to mobilize uh, and get the attention of media, you know, how to kind of activate the rest of the communication resources that the Navy pays, you know, a fair amount of money for. So uh, again, he's got to be that, that advisor of choice uh, in, in order to get that trust and confidence that you're talking about, John. Well, here's what I know. Um, Admiral Select Brown has a quality selection of 1650s public affairs officers, uh, enlisted personnel and civilians uh, within, the, within the Navy public affairs family uh, that are trained, committed, and willing to, uh, uh, to do the job and to do the job well. Because uh, look, we've, we've worked side by side with these people. We know what they can do. And I think once, uh, Admiral Select Brown sets the uh, sets the course here. Um, we're going to see people get to work and, and and doing the doing the job that they uh, they've been trained to do. Uh, that's my take. It might sound 
uh, Pollyannish, but uh, but I believe in uh, I believe in what we can uh, what we can get done, and uh, and that's just that's my two cents on that. John, we'll give you the last word. Well, my question will be, how much does he coordinate with Air Force, Army, and Marine Corps Public Affairs in navigating exactly what Bash just said? Hey, how do I? navigate this message how do i navigate the narrative how do i navigate this very uh delicate situation going forward in communicating military public affairs or we have the chops does he have the ability now as the new guy to work with all of these other services and then work with dod to communicate what the navy is all about that's tough and and so I, I, I hope he gets the help he needs to go forward and say, this is a very necessary mission. This is a very necessary service. And, and, and going forward, how do we all gel together in a very disjointed time where people are, are throwing a lot of accusations at each other Hey, the, the Navy is relevant and Navy public affairs is relevant and, and we're going to be very um, relevant in this conversation. Well, John, listen, I'll say this uh, and to everyone else that's out there listening. I've seen Charlie Brown in a boxing ring. I've seen what he's done as an amateur pugilist and I think he's up to the fight. <laughs> pun, pun that pun. Uh, listen, as always, uh, a great discussion, gentlemen, to start us off. Uh, folks, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back to Deep Dive. You're listening to Three Season Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. All right, folks, we're back on Three Season Pod. It's now time for Deep Dive. All right, now look, typically... I play the host for the show and ensure things, you know, move along smoothly while Chris and John uh, go back and forth with their commentary. But we've just endured a week of news events that sort of fall into my professional uh, comms breadbasket, if you will. And as such, this week's deep dive takes a look into crisis communication, a uh, field that I know a little bit about. So here's what we need to talk about. Crisis communication. What is it? Why is it important? And how do you get through it? So let's talk crisis management a little bit. So the first question you have to ask, actually ask yourself and answer is, what is it that determines a crisis? And this is extremely important. So we know there's different forms of crisis, right? You can have an environmental disaster, um, whether that's a hurricane, um, a tremendous snowstorm, which, we, which we've talked about recently. Um, there, there's human tragedy, or perhaps a corporate collapse that will change the identity of your brand, right? Something that's going to get people to look at your uh, look at your corporation through a very different lens and, and drastically change um, their view uh, on your on your company. You can look back at Starbucks, uh, what they had to go through, where they actually shut down uh, their entire uh, franchise over the course of an afternoon due to a racial incident. Okay, we can we can look at that as a, a crisis that they had to deal with. So today we're going to look at three uh, key elements in terms of dealing with a crisis. Okay. Um, 
there are going to definitely be more uh, as, as you sit down and look at your overall crisis. But these are going to be three specific uh, items that I feel uh, you, need to, you need to address. Number one, having a plan, folks. Develop a crisis action plan. All right, my, my high school football coach, Coach Jackson, he was the first person to tell me about the five Ps. And maybe you've heard this before. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Okay? Your plan is what's going to outline the steps that take you through the crisis as the crisis presents itself. All right? You have to sit down with your team and say, we're going to do this first, this second, this third, boom, 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 boom. This is going to get you through it. This is what's going to help your organization move through the crisis. All right? It will help you to establish credibility and minimize any guesswork. The worst thing you could possibly do is to get hit with a crisis and then try and figure it out at that point. Uh, at this point, I'll, I'll, I'll pause for a second. And gentlemen, if there's anything that you want to, uh, to share about that in terms of having a plan. Having those first couple plays scripted um, so that you can, uh, you know, you've thought through and you're able to run those five or six plays, uh, and in this case, communication plays, is very important in buying yourself time, in maintaining trust and confidence from the audiences and stakeholders, and in terms of allowing you to understand more about the environment that is changing um, at a pretty rapid pace. Certainly, certainly. And, and, and again, understanding the pace is very important. You need to realize that uh, information is at a premium and people are going to get their news from more than just one place. So understand as things uh, unfold and people need information, you need to keep up with that. Uh, John, what say you? The situation is this, is that you can have all of those plays. You can have that plan, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. then you have to be able to audible. Do you have the ability or do your, does your organization have the ability to sit there and say, all right, well, this whole thing went sideways or went diagonal, and now we have to do this, that, and the other? Listen, the, the, I, can't stress, uh, I can't stress enough uh, the importance of having a plan, uh, knowing what you're going to do, knowing what you want to do, and then how you're going to adjust for it. If you, if you Google fainting goats, uh, check them out on YouTube, that's, I, I can equate several public affairs practitioners to fainting goats uh, as soon as things go, uh, as soon as the, uh, the heat gets turned up a little bit. Um, that's exactly what they look like. All right, so listen, so let's move on to number two, all right? And one of, one of the, uh, the second uh, key element uh, when you're dealing with a crisis, all right? I, I think we can look back on the week we just had and look at a... Uh, particular scenario, <laughs> Virginia, uh, and talk about um, dealing dealing with crisis uh, and this particular uh, subject. And that is one identifying your audience. Who exactly are you talking to within this crisis? And that could be an internal audience and an external audience. And what are you going to share with those individuals? Okay, be forthcoming. You've identified the facts, you know what the facts are, and share them with your audience from the beginning. You may not like those facts, you may not, uh, it may not be something that you want to share, but you're going to need to share it. Remember, this whole thing is about establishing credibility, 
making sure that the people that you're talking to are even taking the time to listen to you. Be upfront, take the time to craft your message and deliver it, no matter how hard uh, it may seem. I, I can't stress it enough. I mean, as soon as, um, because here's the thing, if they don't hear it from you, they're gonna hear it from someone else. And that other individual, those other outlets, aren't gonna be as forgiving in terms of how they put out that information. So uh, best that they hear it straight from you. Uh, gentlemen, what say you? Your, your point about being forthcoming um, is extremely important. Um, and I mean, you know, information moves very quickly. I mean, that's a, a common theme in really sure. every, every segment that we've, uh, that we've talked about. So somebody's gonna fill the space. Um, and now you, you don't want to fill the space for the sake of filling the space, but if you have your plan, if you kind of, uh, are prepared, as John said, to, to pivot and adjust to, uh, changes in that plan, you ought to be able to share information and, um, be forthcoming in a way that maintains the trust and confidence of those, uh, stakeholders, whether they be internal or external, mm -hmm. um, so that you're able to maintain the narrative throughout the, throughout the crisis. And whether, again, I mean, every crisis is a little bit different. So whether you're just a player in this, um, and it, you, you know, you're operating in an environment that is a, a crisis environment or whether it's something that someone else or you, your team has imposed on themselves, um, by sharing information as you know about it, by not being cute, uh, and by, um, you know, by being upfront, uh, you really can uh, hold your audience's attention and uh, maintain that, that confidence. Definitely. Well, and, and it gets right to the Ralph Northam thing, which is, hey, which, which truth? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a new thing. Uh, let, me, let me enlighten you. The, the, which truth are you going to accept upfront and immediately? Is it me in the photo or is it not me in the photo? And then from there, how do you own it? And, and there's a certain amount of expectation from everyone right now to say, hey, are you going to be truthful with me? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and as long as you are truthful, I think people will understand it when, when that first thing comes out and you have the opportunity to be transparent, be completely transparent. Mm -hmm. And, and, and when you're not, then you see what's going on with him now. And that is that you are being questioned, you are being criticized and I'd rather you not be criticized. I'd rather you just come out and take the blame. Specific scenario in which, in which you're referencing um, is, is, is mind-boggling, uh, to say the least. Um, and it defies uh, convention uh, on, a, on a lot of levels. Um, it feels like if it were something that you, they, you were to deal with it uh, in the way we, we uh, prescribe uh, at the forefront, uh, we wouldn't be where we are right now. But circumstances obviously have uh, evolved. <laughs> so, Bess, I want to just, um, you, you know, Without diving into the, the Northam uh, case too deep, um, you know, part of that plan and part of being forthcoming is identifying 
somebody that you trust to, mm -hmm. you know, really be the the referee or the art the arbiter of um, of what's occurring. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes, um, members of your regular team um, are not equipped to do this. Either they're um, you need them in more tactical uh, situations, or if it involves the organization that they're a part of. Um, it's hard for them to give objective advice or for the, the senior leader to take objective advice from them. Right. Um, so you've got to reach out to, um, you've got to reach out to other groups and, and get help. Um, so I, I, you know, before we get too far beyond the plan and, uh, you, you know, the, the part about being forthcoming, knowing who you're going to turn to as an organization, Mm -hmm. Even if it's just you as a communicator, hey, who is your objective person to help make sure that you're carrying out your plan and to help tell you if, A, you are being forthcoming and what the perception is of, of the audience? Um, because I've found that, that you lose that pretty quickly as the pace picks up uh, during these crises. Certainly, Chris, you make a great point. So let's, let's, let's rehash really quick. So number one, develop that crisis action plan. How we're going to move through this crisis uh, as a team. Number two, being forthcoming with your news, also identifying who your audiences are, both internal and external. Number three, establishing your messaging and helping you to control the situation. That includes, Chris, what you're talking about is basically pinpointing who is the center, um, uh, who's your voice, who is the one out front, whether it's at a press conference or whether it's dictating to your team, how things are, are moving forward, all right? You're going to find instances where within your organization, you've stepped out into, um, stepped out into an issue, stepped out into, um, into a crisis, and you, uh, your leadership specifically um, isn't prepared uh, to handle this, uh, to handle this situation. So again, Chris, what you said, um, where do we go for help? Who are those individuals that are steeped in this uh, specific subject matter, uh, who have been there before, who can speak specifically to how to uh, address the audience out there um, who are feeling the, um, feeling the offense, feeling the uh, transgression, uh, who are affected by uh, this crisis? But a lot of people, Bash, are probably wondering what, you know, hey, do we really have a hey, my boss uh, just got outed in blackface uh, communication plan. Do they have that crisis comms plan in the drawer um, for that kind of exigency? Like, hey, uh, uh, we're just going along and, and we're, we're doing well and, and my boss has got a pretty good narrative. Then all of a sudden this happens. And, and I think a lot of communicators out there think that they have this in the drawer to say, well, um, my boss just had this major problem happen. Mm -hmm. uh, dust off the plan. Let's get it together. Each situation is unique. Certainly. Each problem is, is, um, is harder uh, than they than they really thought it would be. So, I, I I guess in in the frame of expectation management, there's no crisis communication plan that necessarily fits with every unique scenario that comes up, Absolutely. like Ralph Northam. But right. 
you know, how do we advise people to say, or how do we advise communication teams like on Ralph Northam's team to say, um, well, here's where we go next. Right. And, and John, to that end, thank you for bringing that up. It's all about possessing the widest possible aperture that you can for the landscape in front of you. I would presume, and I guess it's, it, it might be wrong for me to presume this, that an organization wants to achieve that, wants to uh, be in a position where they can see with the, uh, the most possible eyes, if you will, with the most possible ears um, to understand um, what's out there in front of them and, and to project the, the greatest possible image. And when that goes left, how do we get back to center? And how do we do that in a way that is um, uh, going to promote awareness and is going to further uh, affirm what the organization stands for? An organization should strive uh, to, to do that. In, in the initial statement that they put out uh, following the transgression, uh, and then every step uh, moving forward. I go back, Bass, to um, the the three scenarios. There's a crisis in the environment. It's not that hard, right, for for most organizations to respond, and that's what people mm-hmm. tend to practice. So if it's if you're the state of Virginia, you know, the governor's office, and it's a hurricane or a tornado, or you know, you, you pick the existential crisis that occurs to the state probably pretty comfortable and um, you're probably expert in being able to respond to those crises. But when it, when it becomes a crisis of uh, within the organization and particularly with individuals in leadership, that's when I'm picking the phone up right away because you're not prepared to do that. I mean, I, I've seen it personally. I've experienced it personally. I've seen it in the Navy quite a bit. Um, you know, airplane goes down or we go into combat. We know how to do that. We know how to communicate those sorts of things. Um, you have a scandal, uh, you have a senior leader or, um, a organization that lets the, or, uh, lets the larger organization or lets the American people down parochialism and confusion sets in pretty quickly and having somebody to bounce things off of is very important. Certainly. Sorry. Well, having someone who will be a naysayer, and that is that when Northam went out there with that press conference, you needed someone, he needed someone to say, hey, this is not a good idea. Uh, it really comes down to uh, not blinking. Um, and we need, we need communication uh, professionals. We need public affairs officers uh, that are unwilling to blink. Folks, as we as we continue this discussion on crisis management, uh, again, you know, we've offered you three uh, key elements. As you as you can hear from the discussion, uh, there's obviously a lot more, and it's a more nuanced discussion. Uh, no crisis, uh, uh, one crisis is the same as the next. Um, but one thing you need to also pay attention to as we go back to talking about um, resources, you're going to have to know when to go back to your quote unquote normal operations. Okay. Um, no organization can continue to exist um, in the pose of crisis management all the time. Uh, it's going to cost you valuable time and valuable resources. It's going to be a strain on your organization. So that um, a part of that plan, that, that, that crisis management, that crisis action plan that you put in place, um, you're going to need to establish a moment where it's okay 
crisis is over, we've moved past that time period. Um, it can be within a day, within a couple of days, within a week. Um, and now you're going to dial it back uh, and move back to, um, to your standard operating procedure. Gentlemen, listen, it's been an excellent discussion. Um, we, can, we can obviously continue it um, uh, elsewhere on the web. Uh, and I believe we're going to get into this a bit more. Uh, at this point, folks, we're going to take a break and come back with On the Horizon. You're listening to Three Season Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. All right, folks, we're back with Three Season of Pod, and we are at the point in the show where we look out on the horizon. So let's go around the table and hear what we can look forward to in the upcoming week. Uh, Chris, you're up first. So I'm looking uh, forward to Friday. Uh, will the government shut down after Friday? Um, you, you know, there's all sorts of news out there that says there may be a deal or the president may decide to actually declare a national emergency. Either way, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, managers and supervisors are prepping their, their employees uh, so that they're better prepared for, uh, for what may happen on, on Friday than they were the last time the government shut down. Um, and then, you know, further on the horizon, um, you know, considering uh, upcoming budget drop, uh, which is scheduled now for March, uh, and the posture hearings, particularly for the military, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wanting to see how they talk about what they need uh, and, and how badly they need it, uh, you know, all of which is going to occur again in this crazy communication environment. So what do you guys think? I mean, do you think there's another government shutdown on the horizon, I mean, this isn't like the uh, Super Bowl predictions, <laughs> which I was I was very wrong on. I mean, I obviously bet on or bet against the Patriots on every front. But what what do you think? I mean, I I I I am honestly very interested to see whether we shut the government down again, and I think we will. What do you guys think? The the phrase conventional wisdom, right? Uh, I guess throw it out the window. But <laughs> that's a terrible phrase. Don't ever <laughs> use that again. But wait a second, right? We just went through the longest government shutdown uh, in our nation's history. We can't, we can't go back there. Not, not this soon, right? Like, come on, right? There's, there's just too many people were, were affected and are still, still to this day, uh, a, week, a, a week or more later, feeling the effects of not getting back pay um, for 35 days uh, of a government shutdown. So I just, I honestly, uh, in, in, the, in the name of human compassion, uh, cannot see us going back to uh, a government shutdown situation. That's but do you think that resonates? Do you think that you sitting there saying, we can't do that, right? Right? No, it, 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 I don't think that that sort of um, matter of fact evaluation of the madness of it really resonates with the people who make decisions. So I have to tell I, you, John, it makes me sick to think that we could do that to, to American people again. It, it really, it, it makes me sick to think. Yeah, me too, man. 
So I think you're going to hear a lot from uh, the unions. I think you're going to hear a lot from people that suffered uh, the last time the government was shut down two weeks ago, uh, you know, in, in the hopes of uh, trying to persuade whether it's uh, has any effect or not. Uh, John, I think you, you, you're right to be skeptical. Um, my opinion, I think the Congress gets a deal done. And um, I think that it's up to the president at, at, at that point. And I'm, I'm not going to speculate what, one way or the other, because I honestly don't know. Uh, I'll just go back and say, if I'm a supervisor at any of the uh, affected agencies, I'm prepping my people for another government shutdown. I'm uh, I'm broadcasting. We are broadcasting right now. I'm, I'm from where I'm sitting here in the studio, um, approximately three miles uh, from the Capitol right now. Um, listen, I, I'll I'll run. I'll put my running shoes on uh, and run down Pennsylvania Avenue myself, uh, shouting and screaming <laughs> for folks to get a deal done. Uh, I, I am but one voice, but come on, uh, let's let let let's do something right. Uh, I want to. Uh, take a moment to address uh, the month of February. Uh, we are a about a weekend, weekend now, uh, to Black History Month. And Black History Month gives us a moment to highlight and share some very important facts about the contributions and achievements of Black Americans to this great nation uh, of ours. Now look, while this first week of February was somewhat overshadowed by some outrageous events in the news cycle, I want to just take a moment here and share with our listening audience that on February 12th, 1909, the NAACP was founded in New York City. Now headquartered in Baltimore, the NAACP continues its mission to ensure the political, educational, social, and economic equality of rights of all persons and to eliminate race-based discrimination. This is very important, all right, especially with what's going on in our environment. And listen, folks, amazingly enough, this Wednesday, February 13th, well, it marks the anniversary of the Negro National Baseball League, which was founded in 1920, also in New York City. Now, I know my father's listening to this, and Dad, I hope I get this right. But with players like Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, and Buck O'Neill, the Negro Leagues provided an opportunity for Black and Latin ballplayers to showcase their baseball talent, albeit separate from the discriminating major leagues. That is, until a gentleman by the name of Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947, a day that my father likes to talk about fondly. And you know what? The 100th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's birth was celebrated last week on January 31st. Such a great day. And gentlemen, I just want to take this, I want you to take away uh, this important point here as we look forward to the baseball season. And I know you guys are a bunch of Baltimore Orioles fans and I'll, I'll let that slide, but hey. <laughs> Pitchers and catchers report this week. So we I'll, I'll take it one step further and, and, and give a shout out to the fact that one of my personal heroes, Frank Robinson, yeah. who was the first ever um, African-American manager, yes. um, passed away this week. And, and I'm telling you right now that you want to talk about someone who made a difference in baseball. Now, Jackie Robinson made a difference. Um, and and there are a lot of human beings out there who who really made baseball great. But Frank Robinson, um, you know, the Orioles didn't win a World Series until Frank Robinson came in. Mm -hmm. And and then what he provided baseball going forward—the strength, the competition, um, the the adherence to a good standard. 
That's what Frank Robinson provided. I can't say it any better, John. Bash, take us home. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for joining us here on Three Season of Pod. We always welcome your feedback. So listen, please leave a comment below. And as we always say, until next week, be good, be safe, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.